Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Join our Patreon. Uh, the patrons at the highest level get all of our videos before anybody else, and the King Kayfabers get to uh, stream these videos live with us as we record them. Completely mitigates the Kayfabe effect, but the vids are brought to you by the books that we make, and coming soon, Red Room Crypto Killers issue number one is being offered to your comic shop right now. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. There are two Red Room trade paperbacks out there right now. Each story completely self-contained. You're looking at the various uh, variant covers for issue one. There is a sketch cover variant that you can get your hands on uh, at your local shop by by uh, request. Uh, Hibot Family Tree is going to be celebrating its 10-year anniversary and 2023 50th anniversary of hip-hop itself and we're collecting all the the uh, hip-hop family tree volumes into one giant omnibus collection that is uh going to come out in time for christmas but we're soliciting those pre-orders right now it's going to have 140 pages of material that is not in the first four volumes and as of this recording that book is uh 50 bucks on amazon it's going to be more expensive uh when maybe even later on amazon uh so Lock in your pre-order price sooner than later. Jimmy has Street Angel, Princess of Poverty forthcoming uh, to your local comic shop. Get Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive. That's Jim's uh, image comics, uh, Street Angel comics, all collected in one handsome edition. Street Angel, Princess of Poverty collects all the rest of it. Tons of material. You have both books. You have all the Street Angel comics that Jimmy ever put together. And uh, what you're looking at is a bibliography of some of our prior works man there are two volumes of red room trade paperbacks out there four volumes of hip-hop family tree books out there two box sets uh three volumes of x-men grand design and the hardcover WYSIWYG is available jimmy has hulk grand design out there in the wild uh pretty new but it is going quick and disappearing off shelves and uh jimmy has plain janes out there also today uh the conceit of today's episode is this is Alan Moore's Forgotten Masterpiece, A Small Killing. I came across this probably in the early 90s whenever I would get those mail-order catalogs. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it's Dark Horse, but I swear I would see this in like a kitchen sink, a yeah. tundra, that kind of... Because they would often gang up. They know? would. I think the, the publishers were small enough that it'd be like a bunch of us are in this. Or it might have been after they merged. But Fair. nonetheless, that's where I would see this. And totally. Always was strange to me because at that point, Alan Moore was, you know, huge... But also he had sworn off superheroes. So it's kind of like, what's up? And Small Killing would always show up there. And I never have had a conversation with another human being about this book. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you read it back then? I did not. I picked it up a long time ago. I read it over the last two weeks yeah. in prep for this. And, you know, I would look at it and I just could not get into it. Mm -hmm. um, enjoyed reading it. I'm eager to talk about it. But it is like... The forgotten Alan Moore book. It really is. Uh, I think there is a later edition that Avatar put out, and I think there's a lot of good supplementary uh, materials to, to go along with that. Uh, I was. I'd be curious to see that to also see reproduction because yeah. this is also a painted book, and you know that is all over the map when it comes to comics publishing history. So I'd be very curious to see that edition. That is the double truth, Ruth. And uh, let's let's go through this thing. Uh, Oscar Zarate, I believe, is an Argentinian uh, artist, and I think it was first kind of serialized in so, uh, uh, like a British publication or something. Yeah, there's a nineteen. This is a 1993 from uh, Dark Horse, 
but there is a uh, that's a U.S. edition. There is a 1991 Great Britain edition. So I don't know if it was serialized or collected or what that consists of, but definitely appeared there a couple years before we got the American edition. Yeah, not not too familiar with uh, with Oscar's work, but there's a it's a very abstract vibe. I think it's an important aesthetic for for a comic uh, like this because it is an exercise in the the mundane in a lot of ways, man. And if you just had if Dave Gibbons drew this, it would just feel maybe extra boring in a way uh yeah i like the art a lot yeah and i mean even just you can see it right here like you say abstract and it's so cool to see like he's not going for photorealism no and uh and i love it and i love just the colors you know and, and i can see from alan moore's point of view if this is done in like late 80s early 90s if it's published in 91 and you're leaving like i'm done with you know superhero comics this is about as far as you're gonna get in uh the late 80s from from that four color heavy black line style this is asterios polyp yeah you know that this character is asterios polyp graphic designer kind of a schmuck douchebag makes a lot all the wrong decisions uh the added little piece that we have in here is uh when you start off somebody's following him uh before getting even into the subject of the comic um i think it's so awesome that alan moore at the height of his game uh could do whatever he wants and decides to take to try to make a literary comic uh that's what that's what we have here he's playing with metaphor he's playing with symbolism and he's definitely leaning into the literary aspect far more than genre in a lot of ways uh there's never one moment where like this little kid that's following him around there's never one moment where i think that that character is anything but you know some piece of his brain or some psychosis or something like that uh he he plays around with maybe you know pseudo horror elements but you never really feel that and i actually had to read this thing two times uh in prep for this because the way it starts off and if you read it two times there's a lot of richness that that pays off later that is mentioned even super early here like the allusions to abortion and things like that like like that's all seeded within the first like five pages when you read it again so like you don't even especially if you don't know what the fuck this comic is like none of this almost matters until you really hit the initial climax with the little character and you see what the deal is uh because it just feels like a little bit of paranoia or something yeah and it's served well because we see a lot of that character like um from behind almost like we're looking over his shoulder watching stuff and yeah that, that gives me that sense of paranoia i think is uh it's an atypical point of view i remember a documentary on dan Klaus art like it like an eight minute kind of video mm -hmm. on it but it was that thing of like looking over a character's shoulder a lot yeah um that's in here a good bit uh a small killing uh the the overall conceit is that uh throughout your lifetime you make a bunch of decisions and and you if you you compromise yourself over time and he, and Alan Moore calls those like the, the small killings. So, uh, you know, you start off in sort of one mindset and with, with, with ideals in mind, and then you, you have to compromise along the way. Uh, the, the Lolita book, the Nabokov thing, it shows up a lot and reading it even the second time, I'm like, like what, what is happening in this dude's life that like the Nabokov is they're kind of calling attention to something 
One piece is he's working on a big advertising campaign for Russia. Yeah. So that's one obvious connection. Right. I don't know about like thematically the connection between this story and Lolita. Like, is it, is it, uh, I, 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 yeah, I'm not even sure about the Lolita part. Is it more just a Nabokov part? And that's the, that's the Nabokov book that everybody knows. But it, like, does it show up after each quote unquote small killing? Um, birds' eggs die. There's an abortion that, that takes place here. Dream sequence. Is that a dream? Uh, yeah. He, he says he says ba 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 ba. Yeah, the sky in my dream. It was yeah. so clear I could see everything. Interesting. I didn't realize that was a dream. Like whenever I read this, I thought it was something he actually witnessed as a as a uh, right. You know, earlier in his life, which is two people walking down a path. One is struck by lightning and falls, and he's so far away he can't tell if it's the father or son, and he doesn't. Uh, doesn't get involved, but he witnesses it. A lot of methods and materials uh, at, at play in this book, including strategic tracing paper to push back the the sort of retrospective uh, s- sequences, which is which is pretty freaking cool. Like, like Alan Moore, who could have done anything and decides to really try to push comics into a literary space uh, because he, he brought in a grim and gritty, right? And everybody sort of latched onto this. This is a harder work to make. It is a harder work to get over. And it kind of is very far ahead of its time. Uh, I could easily see the New Yorker crowd, if they got acquainted with this, absolutely loving it. I was cleaning my back room out, uh, all the comics we've been getting from from the P.O. Box and stuff. Came across this and I'm like, just listen to the master class. Like, let me read some of the other... Uh, Alan Moore works. This came through a uh, mailbag uh, from, from the Kayfaber sent this to us a while back. Um, and I couldn't put it down. I could not put this thing down. There, um, it feels very different. And I suppose it fits within like the European BD kind of yeah. world. But uh, a lot of the little details, the differences that I see visually, I really love. The lettering is unique. Sure. Woodrow Phoenix on lettering, but it has a little bit of that like... Um, Outsider's not the right word, but it's a different audience. And we talked recently about Invincible. Um, I often go back to the Marvel submission guides of like, you should be able to read the story without reading any of the words. And I've idealized that, you know, like that's become a value. And I think about a book like this, you would get nothing out of this without reading it. No, no, you need both tracks. Yeah, and it really changes the way I think about comics because like this is a much more complicated thing to sell, as you said, to get over. Yeah. uh, For for those reasons and more. But I do think it's also very attractive. So it's kind of weird that it has had a very silent response from a critical standpoint in the U.S. And there's probably some reviews. I would expect there's a comics journal review of this somewhere in the past. But it still doesn't feel like a book that, like I said, you know, I've talked to lots of comic retailers and friends and creators about different books. This is not one that comes up, but I think it's beautiful. So why not? Like, why don't we talk about it? Yeah. Oscar would even uh, use photography and some of the, some of the Im- imagery here. There's not one uninteresting looking panel. The colors are beautiful. Yeah. There's not one uninteresting panel, no matter what it is. I wish that they, look, oh, go back one page, because there's a Lolita sighting yeah. right in the middle of the page once again. So, yeah, there's there's some key there that I, I, I can't unlock either. Yeah, no, there's a lot. Like, see, there's the Lolita. He's, bring, he's bringing it all over the place. And and I've read Lolita, and I've read Nabokov, and and uh, this doesn't feel like a Nabokov no, it doesn't. Con- uh, story to me. Klaus, another cartoonist who's a big Nabokov guy, and you'll read interviews where he talks about Nabokov. And, and that feels more on the money yeah. than, than, than this does. 
Man. Every character's cool looking, but it does it does feel steeped in the time frame, you know, like that Panda Brothers era, like uh, ad art and things of the 80s would look like this. And this guy, he's an ad man. Uh, they really hit the nail on the head with the Mad Men aspect of, of, of this comic. I wish they leaned into that more. Yeah, I love that stuff and that culture, and, and, and they do a little bit. That's, that's kind of the plot, but I wish they leaned into it even more. Yeah, our guy is John Hamm, like fr from Mad Men, and uh, Alan Moore's so good at it that I agree. When they show examples, it's like, wow, this is just in the comic. Did you just take a real ad? Because like, that's a lot of thought going into these little fake ads and things. Um, I think that this goes along great with like an American Psycho. Like that's the other one from I that think of. from that time frame, or uh, you know, to name a later flick like like Wolf of Wall Street, where you have this is '80s yuppie culture, uh, and this guy is caught up in that. Like, like very very narcissistic. This character. So then let's even think about that in terms of um. Of of Alan Moore, dude. Like like comics is this is now this commercial thing. So he's like, now he's commercial, you know. And there's that Twilight of the Gods pitch for all the rhetoric that that Alan Moore puts in that masterclass. Like, oh, I don't know what a commercial writing course is. And that Twilight of the Gods, he's like, all right, DC, I'm setting this up so you can make toys and role playing games and 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 market this to hell. So he was thinking in commercial terms, compromising himself if, if, if what he said in the masterclass are his true values. So this is, this is yuppie comics, yuppie critique. Yeah, it's definitely a, a little bit different, a little departure from that. Because this guy's just, he's, he's a worker bee, man. He ain't the dude who runs uh, the ad agency. There's a real fixation on time as well. Yeah. These chapters are broken down by time period. And it goes back in time. And again, speaking of the beauty of this, look mm. at that for a two-page spread. Yeah, this artist is just, yeah, like, like just, I'm buying everything he's selling, man. I, uh, I, I complain so much about brown. These figures are brown, essentially. Work perfect, right? Yeah. Because it's not just a brown page or a brown panel. Right. It's an element within a full, uh, full color palette there. I love okay. the architecture of these buildings too. Like my favorite panel in this thing is going to be when we see red cranes. Because they're so not, again, photorealistic. Yeah, no, this, all of this is very abstract. It feels like you, we could have seen this kind of imagery in beautiful magazines in the eighties. You know, like it's it's a very eighties style, uh, but it was like what you know New Yorker was buying at that time and look at like these character designs all of, of random people all of them I always think of the clouds interview where he's like in a movie if it's boring he'll just look at folds you can just look at character designs so throughout this book so check this out man uh with these with these kind of like retrospective sequences you notice the haze it looks like a familiar haze it is tracing paper uh there will be a sequence like you don't really see the halo of it here but uh, make note, if we come to that panel, Jimmy, there will be a circle cut out. And when you look close, you could see the, see the shadow of the, of the tracing paper on it. Yeah. He's also doing soft edges of those panels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's some formal play. Again, I would be curious to see whatever extra materials exist. This is one where I'd love to see a few pages of Alan Moore's script. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some stuff that I read about this was that uh, he allowed... the a lot of room for the artist to kind of express the, I believe the, the artwork. And it makes me wonder if he's rewriting it once the art comes back. Yeah. Because it'd be hard to anticipate this kind of stuff. Great MacGuffin with, this is the ad that basically 
threw this dude's whole world into upheaval. Uh, he, you know, is a young upstart, but the ad doesn't connect. And we're slowly going to see, this is one of my favorite panels of the thing, dude. These, these red felt pen cranes all over the place going through him look like little monsters about to eat him. Yeah, pretty neat to see mixed media. And if you look close, there's a white, like a dry media. He does that a lot. Yeah, he does that a lot with great, uh, with great, uh, like like speed, like blurred edge edges of of stuff and like luminous light things. Yeah, and you Times see Square. a bunch, a bunch across like his shoulders in this sequence. Pretty inventive. Yeah, and more and more you get more and more of that face, and I do think that it was made from a photostat of the final image. So I think that these panels would have been fully blank for a while knowing that he has to build that that panel or maybe he drew that that ad piece and then you know did different stats i think this kind of a panel speaks to a certain age like sure. these are so iconic to me that super bright white of the tv at night he'll do uh this masturbation sequence man that uh we may have even gone past it look at this fo photography but he's kayfabing it up with with paint media over top to create a better holistic unit these are those ads where like these feel accurate these feel right you know like true ads that could exist mm -hmm. that war and peace burger ad for for like an alka-seltzer kind of thing amazing totally it's genius i mean it totally works alan moore and oscar they could have put used this as a portfolio to like get get that kind of work yeah, the painting on the background photos is pretty interesting. Yeah. All of these like mashups of crap party scenes. It's pretty cool stuff. Wonder how more found the artist even. Me too. Uh, the 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 party scenes though and and some of these panels uh it is that deal where you don't know exactly where to read all the time. Mm -hmm. That's like that's definitely a con to uh to this book sometimes man is like you don't know what's supposed to be next because the letterer just does not want to like go over an important vi visual visual moment or whatever look at these dash lines for these like npc characters <laughs> <laughs> and there's that little guy man following him around there was no suspense to that character like like i could almost deal without that there's nothing to it yeah but what's the story without that that's true you know like he's lingering on he's reliving that past and i don't know how you get there without that I don't know if you call him a MacGuffin, but yeah. you, know, you kind of have him leading him through a certain set of memories. Yeah, true, true, true de uh, definition of the word. He is a MacGuffin. And it is, um, how about that shit? It is a challenge, I think, probably if you're writing this story, like how do you basically dwell on this guy's past? Yeah. You know, like you need something. Right. Yeah, without that and without these kind of wild visuals, uh, it, it could have been a very boring journey. The, uh, the aesthetics of the color certainly of something like this it feels like the early drafts that kurtzman and elder would do before they put the full polish yeah on it and i don't mean that in a disparaging way there is a roughness to it probably something that would have been received in a very critical way by At, a lot of comic readers. like if you show up because day. you're like oh i love alan moore and, and watchmen let's see this new book a small killing because it even sounds like it could be cool yeah there are people in the comments who are like, I don't get it. You guys are being elitists. <laughs> yeah, here's that masturbation sequence. And I think it's probably like the best masturbation sequence that you that has ever been in comics, man. Where And it doesn't have to be gratuitous. You see the guy hand under the blanket, you know what's happening. And then just like that Rolodex of thoughts and how, how you collect that. I had not read this before and Lolita is included. Yeah. Uh, 
David Cho's Slow Jams, you know, right. is like that other one that I think of. And uh, it's kind of neat to think of this in that context. Totally. See, all those great ads that he put together, and this is the ad to sell a car, where it's careening toward a helpless victim. <laughs> and, and he puts this together after his whole world falls into upheaval, leaves the wife, the mistress is pregnant, uh, all kinds of stuff is not going going well for the fella. Another great painted image, like these stat, these one-page images. It's a more reserved Sienkiewicz in a way. Like uh, I thought of that, especially with the different materials that he's using. Yeah, yeah, and this guy's like leaning more into the actual like visuals rather than the subtext that that uh, a Sienkiewicz can easily sort of capture. Another, I love this sequence. We've experienced this when we went to go see Starenko. Remember, like we looked in there were some like dollhouses, and you're supposed to like look in the one. Window. It's an awesome three panels, you know, basically a comic strip. Yeah. Finally get to see him interact with the wife that he left. Like, we, that's built in early that he left her and stuff. And we get to see what that relationship is like. And at the end of the day, it looks like he's an, an asshole for leaving a good thing, upsetting a good thing. And, and, you know, some more small killings, like clearly the, the abortion thing is one thing, but just cheating on the wife is a compromise of his character uh taking taking on the ad work could be seen as like a small killing yeah it's true they don't establish him so much as like a young artist with all these like ideals and stuff but i think that that's what they are trying to communicate hey i was i was lingering on that uh house page and one of the books on the top of the stack in the background is russian avant-garde but i also think like that that house model is a good model too a metaphor for you know him playing family and then not 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 playing it very well right there's nabokov again guys put some if you read this put something in the comments and let us know uh, what, what the nabokov lolita piece uh means might even be worth another reread to try to come up with some ideas ourselves oh and this is like him getting to 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 like meet the wife for the you know when they first start to connect and it's it's uh fairy tale stuff it's beautiful and he totally upset that because he got too big for his britches yeah, with that in mind, it's almost you wonder what the metaphor is with Alan Moore, the writer. Exactly. Because at this point, like he has gone through the stratosphere as a professional writer and, uh, you know, maybe reflecting on his own life and whatever uh, sacrifices went into that success. I, I do think that there is some abstract autobiography uh, to this because the character in so many ways kind of mirrors Crumb's, uh, Crumb, uh, Alan Moore's trajectory. Yeah, and his story at this point as an ad man, our character in yeah. Small Killing, not Alan Moore, is trying to sell an American product in Russia. Right. In a weird way, I mean, it's it's Alan Moore trying to sell comics to non-direct market, non-Wednesday warrior kind of readers. Here's that here's that page, man, where you finally see like a little hole cut out of the tracing paper. And if you look close, based on the photography, you can see yeah. the three dimensions of the tracing paper. Totally. around it so they just kind of punched a hole into it which i think is a great effect it definitely is and, and i mean like so pre-photoshop totally i love this color palette like of this spread absolutely love those greens and blues absolutely uh alan moore's forgotten masterpiece a small killing uh if you see it in the wild scoop it up if you don't have it go buy it uh it's absolutely an important piece to read in the Alan Moore bibliography. 
and I might say it's in the top five of uh, Alan Moore comics, right next to any of his more popular works that you've read a million times. This stacks up with that. I would love to hear Alan Moore talk about it. Yeah. And I don't know if you've come across any interviews with him, but again, if there's an Avatar book with like extra material, he probably at least reflects a little bit in there. So I'd be curious to, to hear his takeaway because it does feel like he's really going different. You know, this is that thing where sometimes you finish a big project and you go opposite. Yeah. This feels like him going opposite hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's, I think it's great for the medium to do such a thing, man, to like build so much cred, to build so much of a following. And then unlike your jobbers who just, it's like more of the same, the hamster wheel, more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. He has big reading interests. He's a deep reader his mind's all over the place. Let me bring a percentage of you guys with me on this journey over here. I, I wish it, it, I wish it would have connected. Uh, the comics landscape would be so different if it would have connected back in 1988, 89, 90, there would be more literary works, stuff like Piranha Press and things like try to do this kind of thing. I feel like that whole wing was an inspiration from, from something like this. None of that stuff really connected. It was a little ahead of its time. You still had your direct market, you know, slovenly comic book guy, Simpsons characters right. who, were, who run in the the industry. Yeah, and, and, and more is going for something outside of that commercial mainstream and the format. It's bigger than a comic. We've yeah. heard it from every retailer I've ever spoken to. They hate that odd size. Right. And it's way, it's decades before graphic novels really made sense to anybody. So you're not only doing something that people mostly have never seen, you're also asking them for 10 times the price of the comics that they're used to buying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a formula for almost impossible to succeed with this. Yes, uh, but, it, but it is necessary to try, especially if you're secure you do you, you you rely on people that will go for it and that's the best people to i hate to say it that way but i mean like the person who's successful financially can't afford to do it exactly and and swing the bat take take a chance you know like you and i have those conversations about manga where's where's the great baseball manga well jimmy fucking draw it you know that's what right. i mean that's draw right. it yeah. and then sell it and then you make a successful one there's going to be 20. There's already fucking Red Room uh, comics out there right now, man, that are cribbing, cribbing the shit. So that's what you got to do, man. Uh, K Fabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Uh, patrons get the videos before anybody else. If you're at the King K Faber level, you're even watching us on uh, or the live stream record these vids. But the videos are brought to you by the books that we make. Jimmy, tell the people what you got. Street Angel, Princess of Poverty is my next book. You can pre-order that one now from Image Comics. Collects all of the Street Angel comics that are not in Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive. So get both books and you'll have the complete set of Street Angel comics to date. Uh, other books that are available, The Plain Janes, Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, and Hulk Grand Design, Fresh on the Stands. You can also join me on Patreon.com slash JimRug where you can see more of my comics and art, download out-of-print zines and minis, and see the comics that I am working on now. Red Room Crypto Killers is being offered to your local comic shop right now. Murder on the Dark Web for fun and profit. These are the covers. This is the regular newsstand joint, the Eddie P variant, Jimmy's variant cover, and Peach Momoko's variant, and we have a sketch cover variant. Uh, four issues are coming out in 2023 uh, every single month. We're collecting the Hip Hop Family Tree, four volumes, into a big omnibus uh, that is coming out uh, 
later this year. If you pre-order it right now on Amazon, as of this recording, it's 50 bucks on there. It's going to be $75 in, in stores, man. So get your pre-order order in early, lock it in. Four volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree, like I said, are out there. Ten-year anniversary. Three volumes X-Men Grand Design. Two volumes of uh, Red Room Trade Paperbacks are out there. And uh, WYSIWYG. Jimmy, tell the people how else they could uh, support the channel. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, hats, fanny packs, stickers, and more at our spread shop. That link is also under this video. Given those marching orders, we'll be on our way. Read more comics.